Good evening. Good Friday. Good Friday is a weird day for me. I don't know about you. Right? It's a day where I just, I don't know what to do. Right? Because Good Friday just kind of brings up all different kinds of emotions. I mean, the biggest thing it does is it causes us to remember. Right? We spend a lot of time remembering. Remembering our sin. Remembering what sent Jesus to the cross. Remembering our sorrow over sin. Remembering the pain. Remembering everything that he had to go through. And so often it's easier just to stay there, right? Because it's almost like we want to have some part in it, and so we kind of want to beat ourselves up just a little bit. But the reality is not only should we remember tonight, but really we get to celebrate too. And those two things seem so opposite of each other, right? To remember the sorrow and the grief and the repentance and the shame that we carry because Jesus had to do what he had to do for us. But then we celebrate. We celebrate because his plan was completed. We celebrate because of what happened on the cross and what it means for you and for me. And this dichotomy, it feels so different. But yet it just fits together so well. And as we look, as we think about, as we remember and celebrate tonight, we'll see just how well these things fit together. Because everything that happened on that Friday, everything that happened on that good Friday are things that we need to remember. Things that we need to remember because it pushes us to repent, it pushes us to realize what Christ had to go through for you and for me. But as we look at all these things as well, we'll realize how much there is to celebrate. And so tonight I thought we'd start first by looking at the fact that this has been his plan all along, right? The cross has been his plan all along. And as we continue our series tonight that we've been in Holy Week, right? Part of our series has been to look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. The Old Testament is really the first testament where we see God revealing what his plan was, telling his people, this is what I plan to do. And then we take a look at the New Testament where God does what he promised. He fulfills that revelation. He fulfills what he said he would always do. And so tonight, our Old Testament reading is going to come from Isaiah 53. And so I encourage you to actually take your Bibles out tonight because we have a lot of text to read. There's a lot to remember. There's a lot to go through. And so uh, there's a Bible if you're in the front row underneath your seat. If you're in any other row, it's right in front of you. You can pull out your phone and use your Bible app as well. But as we think about this idea of remembering and celebrating, it's so important to realize that we remember and we celebrate because it was his plan all along. So page 613, we're going to be in Isaiah 53, starting with verse 3. This is where God is revealing what's to happen. Now, Isaiah never gets in specifically about who he's talking about, but I want you to notice, I want you to just take note of the different elements that we're going to read through, the different things that Isaiah says is going to happen to the servant of God. This is who he talks about, right? He says, this is the servant of God. How interesting that we go from last Sunday, Palm Sunday, the triumphant king riding in to today, talking about the servant. And so take, take note of some of these things, especially then as we will jump into our New Testament reading shortly. So Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain 
and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How powerful, right? We are the ones that have gone astray, and yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There are so many things to take note of in here. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. This one you might not catch, but when we read our reading, I want you to see Jesus goes right from being oppressed, right from being judged to execution. There was no delay. There was no jail time. There was no other sentencing. He went right from judgment to execution. This is how we know that this is Jesus. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. When he was assigned his grave, who was he hanging by? And with the rich in his death, and you'll notice that in our reading as well, where was he buried? Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This was his plan all along. Isaiah wrote this 800 years before Jesus. So when we look at the cross and we remember and we feel that guilt and that shame, and maybe we struggle with the idea of celebrating, we go, can we really celebrate the cross? And we go, but God had this plan from the beginning. There was never shying away from it. He knew what had to be done. He knew the price that would have to be paid. And yet guess what? Christmas still happened. Jesus was still born. His plan still went into place. This wasn't a shock for him. And so we remember and we celebrate. And tonight as we then go to our New Testament reading, we can remember and we can celebrate because we see his pain. The reality of his pain. Isaiah talks about it, but then we see in Matthew chapter 21, or 27, sorry, 27, page 834. We have a lot to read in this, so leave it open. But this is where we see the reality of his pain, what we remember and we celebrate. And here we see why. Because not only was it a plan, but it was a plan fulfilled. Matthew 27, 11 to 56, a lot of verses. A lot of verses, get you reading on Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, what did he do? He gave no answer. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah, when he was accused, he stayed quiet. When he was accused, or then the Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner. I want you to think about this, right? This is a prisoner who had to do bad things to be in prison, right? That means he probably hurt the people that are out there right now, stole from them, hurt them, did something terrible, right? 
He's known as a bad guy, but here's what happened. So they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, well, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. They knew there was no reason, right? They knew there was no good reason. Surely they would release Jesus of Nazareth. But while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent a message to him, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, and instead to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Well, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, all of them. And to crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people, not some, not a few, all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. Judgment to execution. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, took the staff and struck him on the head again and again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. Forced him. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. It's another prophecy that we didn't read tonight. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. He would die among the wicked. Two rebels were crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. (laughs) He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him then. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that's a tough one, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the place that Jesus is there? 
God himself has turned his back on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The desperate cry, the reality of what Jesus was suffering at that moment. And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Talk about crazy, right? Raised to life right there, and then they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified, I would be too, and exclaimed, surely, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So tonight we remember and we celebrate because we read in Isaiah what was to happen. And Jesus didn't run from it, he didn't hide from it. He knew the pain, he knew the torture, he knew what was to happen. He knew what crucifixion was. Crucifixion wasn't a run-of-the-mill killing. It was brutality at its best. It was so bad that typically it says, the women, many women were there watching from a distance, they would keep women away from crucifixions because it was so grotesque. Jesus knew what was to come. He knew the pain that he would suffer. We read it in Isaiah. And yet he still, he still went into the city that week, allowed them to charge him, didn't speak a word against him, and allowed himself to be taken to the cross. And all those things they said to him if God wants you, he can save you. Call out for Elijah. Maybe Elijah will save you. All these things, guess what he could have done? And he didn't. And so we, tonight we remember and we celebrate. We also remember and we celebrate because in this testimony, in this text, we see a bit of Jesus' worth. We didn't see a whole lot of his worth in the last part. But in this, this next part, we see a little bit of what happens. After Jesus shows his love of his people, they finally respond. In the next part of the text. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus, somebody who followed Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given him. Joseph took the body wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. After Jesus shows the worth of his followers, after he goes through all that pain, then his people respond. They carefully care for his body, they wrap it up, they give him his own tomb. 
and we see Jesus' worth. Was it enough? No. But I want you to think about even as we remember tonight, even as we celebrate, even as we sang earlier, even as we pray to him, even as we serve him, even as we give to him, is it ever enough? Is it ever worth what he did for us? No. But here, we can remember and we can celebrate that there was worth shown to our Jesus. The last part of the story, I want us to read as well because it reminds us and allows us to celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't just die. Instead, Jesus has power, so much power that his enemies were nervous about it. Let's read in this last part here the rest of our text for tonight. The next day, the one of, uh, the one after, excuse me, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, talking about Jesus, they're still putting him down. That deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made sure, made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. Even in his death, his enemies were still trembling. They were still nervous. They were still worried. Why? Because Jesus had been known to raise others from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's what started all this. That's where, that's where they got so upset and so angry because people started to follow him. But even in their attempt to squash Jesus, even their attempt to hold him down, to keep from happening what was about to happen, they still show the power that they believed he had. And so tonight as we think about this, as we remember and as we celebrate, we remember and we celebrate the plan, his plan that it was all along. We remember and we celebrate the fact that his pain was lived out and it was real and it was torturous, but it was necessary. We remember and we celebrate the fact that our Jesus was shown worth. And we remember and we celebrate the power that our Jesus had, that he didn't stay in the tomb. And no matter what guards or what stones they put in front of it, no matter what they tried to do, there was nothing that was going to keep him from doing what needed to be done. You know why? Because his plan, his pain, his worth, his power, it was all for you. For you, as we sit here tonight and as we've sung and as we've responded to God, as we've even come to church to remember and to be sorrowful, to repent, to turn away from our sin and turn towards Jesus, we remember that he is worth everything. He's worth all of that to us only because we were worth everything to him. All of those things. His pain, his plan, his worth, his power was for you. And so often we forget. We forget the value and the worth that Jesus has, that our God has for every single person. Um, probably about three weeks ago, uh, there's a, something I haven't shared with you all. I decided to, um, actually a couple months ago, I, just started, I, I decided to start driving for Uber and Lyft. I know, weird, right? So it, that was Tim's reaction too. He's like, do we not pay you enough? <laughs> I have so much time on my hands, so I figured, why not? No. 
The reality is I get my, my wife and boys out of the house at like 5.45 in the morning. I usually get here at 9. So I said, what can I do in that time that's more productive than what I've been doing? And so I decided to try it out. Why not? Maybe there's sermon material. There was. <laughs> and the, the interesting thing about uh, driving for those rideshare programs is you never know where you're going to end up. You never know where you're going to go. The most you know is the person's name and how far they are from you right now, but you never know where they want to go. And so I've ended up all over Metro Detroit. I've gotten to learn some areas I never knew before. I said, oh, that's where this is. That was pretty good. There was one day about three weeks ago that um, it was interesting. I actually stayed in like this area. Never, I never had gotten to stay in this area in the weeks that I've been doing it. And I just kept getting calls right around the area that kept you know, leading me just right around here. And right before I was going to quit for the morning, um, I said, well, if there's one more call that comes in that's pretty close, I'll go. And sure enough, a call came in six minutes away. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. And so I drove, and I went to uh, go pick up the guy, and uh, I'll call him David. And I went to pick up David and uh, pull up to his house. He was outside waiting, which was very nice, so I didn't have to kind of search for him. Uh, he jumped in the truck, and uh, now a lot of people sit in the back, some people sit in the front. He hopped right in the front, which usually means, I want to talk. <laughs> okay, I like talking. I like people. We can do this. So we start driving and uh, heading towards his destination. And we had a good 20 minutes, so that was, that was pretty good. And we just start talking and conversing. And most people assume that, you know, you do something else besides this because it's not enough to pay the bills. And so he says, so what else do you do for a living? So I said, oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I know, a lot of people don't expect that as their Uber driver, let me tell you. They go, really? really? His response was different, though. His response was, did you ever speak at SMILE? Now, if you don't know what SMILE is, SMILE is a program that's a requirement for couples who are divorcing who have minor children in Macomb County. And one of the cool things about our, our care program here, we offer divorce care and divorce care for kids and grief share. The really cool thing about that SMILE program, we are the only church that's asked to come and to talk about our program there because they see the value of our program. And for a while, um, I was doing three jobs here, right? I think I was doing three. My job, the care director, student director. And in that short period of time, in about five, six months of being the care director, I got to go and speak uh, at SMILE. We have a volunteer who does an incredible job as well, but it's always good to have you know, the director show up there too. So in just those few short months that I, I was doing it, so I only went maybe two or three times, because only held once a month and they skipped some months, so I, I went, and apparently I went when he was there. And he sat there in my seat next to me, he said, man, he goes, I, you know, when you spoke, it was just, it was just so powerful, and I, it almost made me want to come. <laughs> not really the point, the point is to get you to come, but okay, okay. We started talking, he started just sharing and opening up and telling me about his situation, what was going on. And he said, do you believe in omens? I said, oh, not really, I said, I believe in God. I said, because I believe in God, I don't believe there's such things as coincidences. He's like, yeah, that's what I mean. I said, okay. And he said, you know what, that program that you're talking about, that program that you came and talked about at Smile, is that what I need to heal? And I said, you know, there have been people that have healed from divorce without it, but I can tell you the reason our coaches do it, the reason that our people are so passionate about our program is because it, it saved their lives. For so many of them, that going through that program meant 
getting out of the misery that they were in and finding hope for the first time in a long time. And he said, you know, I, I think I need to come to that. I said, yeah. And this was on a Wednesday. I said, it happens tomorrow. It happens tomorrow at 7 o'clock. He's writing all this down. So there's free dinner at 6.30. He's writing it down. Winter church service, he's writing it down. Now, here's the thing. I don't, I don't know if Dave ever came. I don't know if he ever showed up. But what I can tell you is God has so much worth and value for David that he'd have me sign up to do rideshare just to be able to get that ride a month and a half later to pick him up to remind him that you are loved so much that God would orchestrate this crazy cockamamie scheme of getting a rideshare guy who happens to be a pastor who happened to speak at this thing since six months ago that's about your divorce and your divorce is dragging you down and there's hope and there's love to be found. I believe that God has enough worth and value for David that he would orchestrate that. And so as we look at our Lord Jesus tonight, as we look at what he's gone through for us, as we look at his plan and we look at his pain and we look at his worth and we look at his value, we realize the worth that he is showing us. We shouldn't be surprised that he would do what he did for David. Because we should realize what that means for us. The fact that God, over centuries, would make a plan to bring you back to himself because that is the worth you have for him. He would do anything it takes. He would make a plan and follow it all the way through, no matter the pain, no matter the cost, no matter the worth he got or he didn't get, no matter the power he had to display or didn't display. He said it was worth it all just to get you back just to get you back. And see, that was the plan from the beginning. If we go back to Isaiah 53, the servant, right? The servant says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. It was from the beginning that this was to show you the worth and the value that you have to our God. He didn't take the easy way out. He didn't try some easier way. Instead, he said, this is going to be the plan, and this is going to be the plan from the beginning because I need to make sure that every penny is paid for their sins, that every cost is covered to bring them back to me for our, for mine, for yours. It brought me, it brought you, it brought us. I am. You are. We are healed because of the plan that our God has for us, the worth that he has for us. And so as we, as we celebrate, as we remember, as we look upon that cross and we remember the story that we read in Matthew, the pain and the tragedy, my hope and my prayer is that more than anything, you can look at that cross and see your worth. You can see what you were worth. And here's the thing, folks. I don't know if David ever showed up, and I don't know if he ever will, but he was still worth it to God to try. And the same is true for you and for me. You're worth it whether you receive it or not. I want you to think about Jesus that day as he was being led to the slaughter. Back then, when someone was to be crucified, it was such a big deal. Usually it was a punishment held for foreigners because they wouldn't even put their own people through it, their own citizens through it. 
But they gave one more out, and so the reason that they would parade, that they paraded Jesus through the crowds carrying his cross, which by the way, he didn't even get any help for until someone was told to help him. But the reason they did that was in hopes that someone with evidence for his innocence would speak out. And they did this for every person who would be, who would be crucified. And they paraded him around the city, and they got him out to the hill, and they waited for someone to say, no, no, it's not true. No, no, Jesus didn't do what, he, what they're saying. No, he's innocent. No, he doesn't deserve this. And not one person came forward. Not one person cried out on Jesus' behalf. Not one. Did Jesus stop? Did Jesus turn around and start a new plan? No. No, see, whether they were going to show him worth or not, whether they were ready to receive what he was going to do or not, they were so worth it to him that he still allowed himself to be nailed to that cross to pay for their price, to bring them back to him. So tonight, that would be my biggest challenge, is why there's a lot to remember and there's a lot to celebrate. My prayer, more than anything else tonight, is that you would receive that you would receive the worth and the value, the gift that our God is offering you tonight and always. And maybe for you, it's something new. Maybe for you, you say, you know what, I, I don't know about this gift. and It's been presented to me before and I've heard about it before, but you know, I, I don't know. And I would say, just take a look. Receive it tonight. Receive that worth and that value because our God did so much to show you that worth. But maybe for you, it's that you've kind of received the gift, but you've kind of tucked it back in the back corner of your closet and go, you know, I have Jesus, but I'm going to leave it back there. I don't want to quite live in it fully. I'm not so sure about it. I don't know if I can really trust it. So I'm going to still try and do some good things, or I'm going to try and do this or do that, and try and make myself right with God. But, you know, at least it's there. The presence there. But what happens when we do that? We don't get to live fully in that worth. And so the world beats us down. And people tell us we're worthless. People treat us like we're worthless. And we go through so many things. And it's so easy to get disheartened. It's so easy to get turned away and to think that I'm not worth it. And what happens? That gift keeps getting pushed farther and farther back. Because surely I'm not worth it. But then take a look at all of those things again. His plan and his pain and his worth and his power. All of it wrapped together because of you. You. Not just us. You. You are worth that to him. You are worth everything to him. And so tonight we remember, but he didn't do it so that we would remember. And we celebrate, but he didn't do it for the praise and the prayers and the serving and the giving. He didn't do it for that. He did it that you would receive your worth as this gift. This gift wrapped perfectly for you. And so tonight that would be my prayer. They'd receive this gift. They would live in its truth. And that you would be reminded not only of all that Jesus did, but that he did it for you. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you so grateful, God. I can't imagine. 
can't imagine how that plan all had to work together. God, you are so powerful. You are so mighty and you are so intricate as you just pieced all of it together. And God, as I look at that plan, as I look at what happened, God, it breaks my heart that you had to go through what you had to go through. It pains me that because of my sin, because of my destructive habits, because of what I continue to do, you had to be put on that cross. But God, you did it. You did it willingly. You did it for me. You did it for every single one of these people here. And we are worth that to you. God, I pray that we can receive it. God, I pray that you hear our confessions tonight. I I pray that you hear these sins that we keep carrying around with us and struggling with. God, I pray that you hear them and that you allow us to realize our worth as you forgive us. And God, as we continue on into this Easter season, I pray that every time we look at that cross, every time we're reminded of that empty tomb on Sunday, that we go, you know what? That's how much I'm worth. That's how much I'm worth to my God. God, thank you for that gift. May we receive it tonight and live in it always. Amen.